Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third-tier markets to large 100-plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to the Self-Storage Income Podcast. We have an incredible episode lined up for you guys today with John and Andrew from KO Storage, who started out in e-commerce and transitioned into self-storage. They needed somewhere to put their capital, and uh, they turned to self-storage, like a lot of us, for a lot of the same reasons. Super excited about this episode because these guys... The level of scale that they've been able to achieve in just you know five short years approximately has just been incredible. Uh, absolutely love their story, love what they're doing in the storage world. But before we dive into that, we've got to give a huge shout out to our sponsors here, Live Oak Bank and Janus International. Live Oak is an amazing resource for anybody looking to get into self-storage. Go check out the link in the show notes. Go over there, talk to Terry, ask for Terry. Uh, it's amazing. In one of our episodes recently... Now, uh, we had a, uh, a guest on the podcast actually say that they got in contact with Terry over at Live Oak, and that's how they actually funded their storage acquisition, which is just incredible. It's so cool to hear you guys listening in, going to these resources that we've got here for you guys, like Live Oak, getting in contact with them, utilizing the resources that they have. And uh, I believe these individuals utilized uh, S the SBA loans through Live Oak Bank, which are incredible. They've got some really good incentives going on right now. As of right now, it's June 2021. And uh, They've got some pretty incredible specials going on until September 2021. So uh, as far as that goes, if you guys are interested in SBA loans, getting started in self-storage, utilizing those, get it Live Oak Bank. Go to that link in the show notes. With that said, Janice International, our next sponsor here, incredible group of people who have been in the storage industry since... I don't know, day one. I don't know if that's that's legit to say or not, but they have been in storage for decades and decades and decades. Uh, they have so much experience, a lot of really, really good people on their teams, and um, really, really great resource for anyone that is looking to build a storage facility or rehab a storage facility. So whether that's the technology or the mechanisms, you're talking the steel, the doors, all that kind of stuff, Janus has all kinds of solutions for you. Uh, they have their keyless access system, the no-key system that people can literally just rent a unit, access the unit facility, all that stuff, without coordinating with the manager directly from their cell phone, which is an incredible uh, way to bring your storage facility up to today's standards as far as the consumer experience goes. And uh, their metal fabrication, their doors, they've got a lot of really, really good options for you guys as far as being able to install new doors, uh, install new systems to be able to uh, make your facilities look brand new again, uh, function better, look better, uh, have way better curb appeal, you'll be able to get better rates, all that kind of stuff. Really, really good solutions there. So go check out the link in the show notes to Janus International as well. Uh, you can ask about their R3 program, which is specifically tailored to rehabbing facilities bringing those old facilities up to today's standards. So go check those out. Uh, links in the show notes again, and you guys enjoy this episode. Welcome everybody to Self Storage Income. And today we have a podcast for you guys. I'm telling you, this story is going to blow your mind. I don't think me and Connor could be more excited about it. We've been waiting to get this one uh, recorded for a while. So I'm not actually going to spend a lot of time. We want to jump into it. Uh, today we have Andrew and John from KO Storage. They're in 11 states, 3 million square feet, um, almost 100 locations. But that's not even the crazy part. Really, the crazy part on this is the fact that almost all the growth has come since 2019. And that is just crazy. So with that, guys, welcome to the podcast. I'm so grateful you uh, came on and get to share your story here. Um, you have so much to share and uh, it's, you know, an awesome, awesome story. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks. I appreciate you having us on. Absolutely. No, we're, we're super excited to jump into this. Like AJ said, we've been wanting to get you guys on for a little bit here. And, uh, I'm super excited to dive in and uh, how you guys got started 
how you guys are scaling. We talked a little bit before the podcast here and really looking forward to uh, just unboxing that stuff a little bit because uh, you guys have scaled relatively quickly in a pretty short amount of time. It's, it's, it's really incredible. You guys are doing some awesome work. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So why don't, I mean, first we got both of you here. So why don't you introduce your guys, uh, introduce yep. yourselves, and then you can kind of walk through how you guys met and how this all got started. Give us some background on this. Yeah. I'll go first. Um, so yeah, Andrew Freeman, uh, and we're here in Minneapolis. John and I met in college, have been friends, acquaintances, buddies, uh, since then. And in 2016 or 15, um, we just kind of collaborated on an e-commerce business. Um, you know, won't try and belabor, spend too much time there, but uh, Minnesota has a very unique landscape in that we have two of the largest retailers headquartered here in Minnesota, Best Buy and Target. So you've got a very rich retail environment and we had an opportunity or saw an opportunity um, that we saw the e-commerce landscape changing and start an e-commerce business. And that just took off beyond our wildest beliefs. As that business grew in scale, um, we both had a background or experience in different asset classes within real estate and knew that that was a way to uh, gain, you know, call it generational wealth. Um, but for all the reasons I'm sure you guys have talked about ad nauseum, didn't want to go into multifamily, um, commercial, mixed use, et cetera. An opportunity in 2016 just kind of fell in our laps. I'm a deal junkie by nature, and I found a deal in uh, Craigslist, Black River Falls, Wisconsin, that a gentleman had completely mismanaged and run into the ground, and um, he was trying to sell it, take a quick profit, uh, doing a little digging. We found the bank was about to actually take it back. We reached out to the bank and told the bank, you know, we're the next best thing since sliced bread. They let us assume the, the debt for just paying the $15,000 in back taxes. And we were kind of off to the races. John and I jumped in head first, touched every moving piece and part of the business from answering the phones to the bookkeeping, to working with attorneys, to understand the leases, the lien laws, et cetera. And uh, John, I'll let him jump in real quick and talk a little bit about his background. But, you know, very early on in 2016, you know, not reinventing the wheel, but decided we wanted to reduce moving parts, remove inefficiencies, streamline operations, and kind of take this antiquated mom-pop operated business and try and bring what we believe to be 21st century technology. So that's how we got our start. That was our first facility. A um, little bit about my background, how we met, and I'll let John kind of fill in from there. Yeah, I um, <clears throat> ran out of college, went and worked for Deloitte and Touche, uh, doing technology consulting for about five years till the end of about 2015. Um, great company, great opportunity, learned a ton there, but was kind of hitting a point um, where I just, you know, was at that point where I just got promoted and I was either going to buckle down and stick it out for 10 more years and make partner and, you know, maybe kind of be a freshman in college all over again as a junior partner. Um, and, and regardless of what I did, you know, that timeline's kind of a, a fixed timeline as they season you there, or I could jump and try something independent. So I had left to go work with a startup called No Sweat, just this disposable liner for hats and helmets, help them kind of scale their business, raise some capital. And when I was there, obviously we were, you know, bootstrapping it like crazy. So I needed a way to make some side money. So I linked up with Andrew and we just kind of started buying and selling stuff on Amazon. And that went from, you know, small amount of sales year one to, you know, fully fledged business spitting off north of 40 million in revenue as of last year. And to his point, as we started scaling, they were looking for ways to deploy it. And that led us to storage and kind of, you know, in both businesses, uh, you know, we didn't go into it with a business plan and a way to like, Hey, we want to, you know, we spotted this opportunity. We want to go raise capital and just build this, this thing. We kind of went into it organically as, Hey, this is a way for us to make some cash on the side or a way for us to invest in some really good real estate assets and just poured into it and touched every aspect of the business the same way. If you want to start a restaurant, you should better be a busboy, a server, a bartender, a bar back and a hostess. You know, we, um, we did the same thing with storage and the same thing with e-commerce. And, uh, you know, interestingly enough, they both kind of took off uh, side by side and uh, kind of fueled each other. You know, we were able to use the money we made in e-commerce to buy storage and, you know, able to reinvest the money from storage back into it to fuel that. And 
and really kind of invest for the future as we as we grew the business. So, you know, I, I can go into kind of the timeline of the the storage journey. You know, beyond what Andrew said. You know, you know, once we kind of got in and started dipping our toe in the water, if you'd like, or we can go a different directions. You know, you, I, no? I got a couple of questions. It's just so interesting because your guys's way that you started is extraordinarily reminiscent to mine. Except mine wasn't in, in e-commerce; it was in insurance. Uh, but same thing. It was we needed a side place to put money, taxes, killing us everything. Got started. Was like, man, this is really inefficient. Let's make it better. And then you know, from there, it was just off to the races. Um, now I do have a question <clears throat> on this first facility. When you guys uh, uh, got started and got this first facility, tell us about it. Like, how big was it? What was happening with the asset? And where did yeah. go? You can't see it, but I've got a big blown up picture from a drone on my wall. It was at the time 85 or 87 units, 2013 build that we took in 2016. So aesthetically, you know, it's in pristine shape. There was little to no capex, but, you know, probably a story we've all seen too many times. Gentleman who takes cash was trying to track it on an Excel spreadsheet doing it from Milwaukee, which was, you know, two hours away from where it was in Wisconsin, terrible records, no facility management software. So of the, you know, call it 85 units, I would say, you know, the physical occupancy was about 50%. Of that 50% physical occupancy, I would say only 50% were actual paying customers. And the records he had on those paying customers left a lot to be desired. And then you know, admittedly, the, the other 50% that were just dead units with no records, um, you know, we learned early on, you know, how to go through the lean auction process and probably didn't do it the, the smartest way or the, the best way we do it today. But, you know, we learned how to do it. So admittedly, it was a perfect size deal for us to jump in. Um, the fact that we had minimal capex and it was still in great shape. Um, you know, I sometimes pinch myself thinking like if only those deals were still available today, you know, you'd have a thousand people. I mean, we literally got into that deal and assumed $500,000 of debt from the bank to pay the $15,000 in back taxes. So I think all in it was, you know, $20,000, which again, today people would be salivating at an opportunity, you know, like that. So it, it, it was run poorly, um, but it wasn't as if, you know, we're completely starting over and pouring our, you know, blood, sweat, and tears into the, to the CapEx. Um, so it, it was a good starting ground for us. And, you know, that was August, 2016. We started on a web self storage, um, which not a fan of that platform. We quickly realized there's, you know, other good, you know, facility management softwares out there. We, talked them all, explored them all. And then February, April, May of 2017, we bought some more properties. We bought our first, call it big package in August of 17, you know, four locations, like 600 units, ability to develop and build. And, you know, we just all learned it on the fly. And again, um, we both had had uh, bookkeeping backgrounds. So, you know, for me to jump in and handle all the accounts payable, the bookkeeping, the reconciliations was just kind of second nature. So I did all that. I answered phones, I did the operations, and we did it all while running uh, the e-commerce business. So 17 was a slow growth year. Same thing with 18. But then in 18, we kind of realized that um, the way this market is fragmented and the, the nature of the mom and pop operators and the inverse of other large you know, real estate asset classes, we kind of had this, what we believe to be unique window of opportunity. So we at that time brought my cousin Ben in to run our e-commerce business, who's still there today running it. We kind of took a step back to really invest 100% of our time and energy into growing this business. We hired, you know, towards the end of 18, our first employee. We uh, had some people from the William Warren Group store quest come who, you know, had, you know, five or 10 years, you know, storage experience. We just started to build a team and kind of over time fired ourselves from some of the day-to-day -day operations. Um, you know, and that's kind of what we're continuously trying to do is do 
what we believe to be our strengths are to help this business grow and backfill um, with other rock stars as we as we can. Now, it's incredible. Yeah, you talk about 2019. So you mm-hmm. stepped away in 2019, and when you went out and said, "Okay, we're going to go start looking for deals. We're going to start sourcing deals." Um, how did you go about that? If you're trying to grow at the speed and rate that you want, how did you guys manage that? How did, how did, what was your strategy or plan to acquire, um, get the capital, um, that was needed, all of that. Walk us through that. Cause that's a big jump. You're talking about it. It's not, this is not like, oh yeah, Yeah, I got another facility, right? I'll, uh, I'll try to answer that. I know it was a handful of different questions, but, um, I, I still say to this day, a lot of this was just serendipitous. It was luck. It was time. If we tried to recreate this today, I don't know that we could or would be able to grow like we have. But, you know, Minnesota has been this kind of B tertiary market in the Midwest here. It's kind of been a flyover state. And this is kind of where we started. So um, I remember in 2017 and 18 when I called or knocked on the doors of other sellers, there wasn't this urgency like, yeah. This week, next week, next month, let's meet. I'll show you my numbers and let's try and work out a deal. Whereas today I call a person, a 10,000 person market. It's like, you're the 10th person who's called me this week. And, you know, this broker from this outfit told me I can sell to five and a half cap. And I'm like, what? Truth of it is they probably can. And there's a buyer for it. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. trying to do this and build in 2016, 17, 18, and even into 19, a lot of it was just time. We built a lot of great relationships and built a rapport with a lot of people here in the Midwest, where, as we all know, this sales cycle is not as if you're selling a printer or a stapler. It takes time to build the relationship and the rapport with these people who have built these businesses up and they have their entire net worth into them. So it's not a very easy choice for them if or when they come to sell, but one thing that I think we did well is not if, but when these people decided to sell, we were typically their first call because we kept such a good rapport and relationship. Oftentimes um, we would help some of these people with gate integrations, or we'd help convert them from their, their ledgers with pencil and graph paper to putting them into storage or storable now. Why? Because it wasn't for us as if, hey, we're going to work ourselves potentially out of an acquisition because we're going to make it easier for them. It was maybe that happens here, but net, 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 doing right, helping these people is going to pay itself you know, forward. And these opportunities would continue to pay itself back to us. So I think that's how we were able to continue to have such a robust pipeline of off-market deals here in Minnesota. Um, and, and as I mentioned, as you fast forward to today, it's as competitive as I've ever seen. Minnesota is no longer just this kind of flyover. The Midwest as a whole, I mean, a few years ago, no one would have thought of Omaha. Now Public and Stormart and, you know, they're buying like crazy in Omaha. So it, it's gotten harder and more fierce, but that's early on how even in 2019 and a little early 2020 before COVID, um, how we were able to continue to, to build our pipeline just having a good rapport and a good relationship, bringing kind of this Midwest um, approach to, to the buyers or the sellers, I should say. So I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's awesome. We get that, uh, we get that question so often because we talk about this, this long sales cycle and building those relationships with owners and operators. And a lot of people are like, okay, cool. Well, how do I do that? And that's a perfect example of, well, if you just you provide value, like you help them out, you provide solutions and you just build that relationship over time. So that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it, people overestimate their ability to do things in the short term and they vastly underestimate it in the long term. And I, and I say this all the time, you know, self storage is not a short game. It's just no. not, it's a long game and the pipeline, the funnels that you build. I mean, for us, I've been working for years to try to build out relationships and things that can give us consistent deal flow. And yeah. it's, you got to be ready to put in that work. And, and if you want to yeah. be in it, you got to be in it for the long term because yeah. it's leverage and it happens. It's weighted, you know, it's, it's weighted at the first it's one deal. 
maybe two deal. You and then you got to learn everything. I got to learn how to run it. I, it's not like I have all this time to be going out and buying facilities and doing big deals. And everything. yeah, I got to learn how to process a payment. What <laughs> is in this lease agreement? Why wasn't that yeah. covered? What we're not protected? You got to do yeah. all that stuff. And then I got to yeah. be talking to brokers. I got to figure out which ones yeah. are legit, which ones aren't. And then I got to be talking to all the areas in the markets, understand what makes a good market a bet. This takes time, people. And oh, yeah. once you go through it, though, then when you can execute, it's leverage. You can execute a mass. And then everybody sits back and is like, wow, how could you do that? And you're like, yeah. well, I've been getting ready for it for years. Yeah. And I think just, you know, further to, to compound on what you kind of said is it's kind of the inverse of what a lot of these sellers are seeing today. You know, I'm sure I know you all have a portfolio. We do every day. We get robocallers who the second you say no, it's click. You know, they're mandated to hit 200 calls a day. You know, it's just basic yeah. lead or we get the postcards. So, you know, as of late, I can't tell you how many sellers have said, you know, you're the first person who, when I said no, you know, continued to have a conversation and said, you'd still like to come meet with me because you're going to be in the area next week. Even though I told you I'm not ready to sell, you offered to take me out for a beer. You offered to go get a tuna melt with me mm-hmm. at my local diner. And again, going that extra call it mile or having that touch point and, you know, getting to know the person, the story, the seller, I think is what is missing and kind of the right approach you need to take to continue to, to, to win these deals. I, I'd mm-hmm. say 30% of our assets that we bought, we knew the owner years before, and yeah. we had a few of them that we bought on a handshake deal. Yeah. So yeah. It, sitting in the office. Well, how much would you sell this for? Here's my number. Okay. And we shook it. That's exactly it. And parlaying on that, you know, we learned pretty quickly. I mean, we were a big legal team and we have kind of from the start, but, you know, they came back to us and we basically said, we need a purchase agreement template. So the second we know we want to buy something, we can rip it out. I don't want to have to wait for them to prep it and everything else. And they came back with a 25 page purchase agreement document. I read it. And I mean, I'm like, I'm like, I like to play lawyer, you know, I do it all the time, but I'm like, I can't even, you know, this is what, like, it's a purchase agreement. Come on. (laughs) So we got the trimming down to six pages, very simple, not onerous, something that a layman can read. And, and by bringing that to the table with our deals, just simplifying it for these guys, you know, not nickeling and diming. You know, yes. when we close, we ask for referrals. So now we have a, a booklet of referrals from sellers, many of whom have turned around and invested with us later um, that we send out alongside of our offers. We send a bank letter. I mean, everything that we can do to kind of smooth it for them, show we're not some big, you know, smooth talking suit, you know, that's going to yep. sell them one thing and give them another thing, um, you know, really goes a long way. You know, oh. they, they know that they're not going to have to deal with all these headaches if, yeah. if they, you know, sign up for something with, you know, whatever. We, we, we got done with the deal we closed and the broker went, was like, that was the smoothest transaction we've ever done. And he's on the call, he goes, hey, I, I've got some deals that I don't even think I'm going to take to market. How about I get you hooked up with them? Yeah. And, and it, it immediately changes everything because it, it you do that work and we make sure that it's easy for them. Everything we say we do, I'm not coming back. If I say I'm buying it at this price, unless it was misinformed, like unless it was yeah. misrepresented, I'm never going to go back now and argue to price. I honor yeah. what I said. And two, if I say I'm going to close something, I close it. As of now, we, we're going to have our first property that I didn't, but it, and I'll get into this. As of now, any single con- property I've gotten into a contract with, I've closed. Every one. We have the first one ever that we won't close on. And the reason being is it was not it was not listed or it was not openly acknowledged. The property's in a floodplain and you can't touch it, build up on it, nothing. It's scrapped, right? Because FEMA changed. Well, it was misrepresented. So obviously we're not closing on it. Other than that though, every property we've ever gone under contract, we've closed on. Wow, do brokers ever love that? And do people love that? And it's about this doing what you say you're going to do. That's what it's about. It's not if you'd close on all of them, nothing like that. It's about being in there, helping that person out. Even if they say no, you're like, that's fine. What can I do to help you? Yeah. Right. It's, it's not it's all about you. Long-term games with long-term people. And then you start getting compound interest. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're, planning the seeds, you're building a reputation for yourself in the market. It's, it's not a huge industry. You know, everybody no. knows everybody. Everybody knows quickly, everybody. Especially when you start getting some scale yeah. and having that reputation, it, it goes a long way in getting first crack at a lot of stuff. Other people might not see. And we're all too familiar. I mean, I think what I heard you say, and I love, and I continue to use is the certainty of closing. Maybe there is someone who will offer you twenty-five or fifty thousand dollars more, but when can can they get there? Yeah. Can they get to the closing table? 
Are they going to come back and retrade? Are you yep. going to have to hold their hand every step along the way? You know, we're, this is a sure thing and there's certainty here. And I think, you know, one thing that has changed is we're doing more broker deals because, you know, with scale, the, the one in the $2 million deals give the same amount of brain damage as a five or 10. And operationally, it's actually easier for us to do a five, $10 million deal than a one or two yep. or three ones or twos. So I went through um, that 10 years ago, we sold off all our small stuff. And then after that, I'm like, I'm not touching yeah. anything under 80,000 square feet. And what I love is when you get that relationship with the broker, there's still plenty of brokers who yep. like to do call for offers and get the highest and best. But just like you said, there's plenty of brokers who, sorry, brokers, you know, some of them would rather not, you know, do the OM and take all the time to put a pretty package together, bring it to a group that they know is going to close and tell their sellers, this is the real deal. Take their offer. I'd highly advise it. It's a good offer. And now you're seeing 10 deals before they hit the open market. Yep. You can float your number to them right away. Five might stick and the other five go to open market. And they'll, you know, when we bring that offer to the table, we've been in situations with multiple offers where ours was not the highest. We have be 100 or 200K cheaper. And that, that just happened to us. Knows who we are. They go to the seller and they say, I know you see this one, but I'm telling you go with KO because we know they'll close. We know they'll do what they say. And I, you know what? If we go back to them and ask them to come up 100, even though it's still 100 below, I bet you this is going to be a better end result for you. And we've gotten deals done that way. So it's, it actually works out pretty well. We mm -hmm. just, we literally just closed two pro property portfolio. The guys came in, they were 200, 250,000 higher than us. We didn't even know till after they came back They're like, Hey, do you want to open it up? And we're like, listen, this is more than a fair offer. You know us, you know what? Same thing. They came back, said the deal's yours. They, the, the, the seller walked away from a quarter of a million dollars because they knew that when we did something, we were going to do it. And we were in the game. We weren't going to pull strings because for a seller to go through the whole process and then not to close is so damaging mm -hmm. and it's yeah, damaging for them and it's damaging for the broker. And it's, it's, it is a, such a bad situation and people don't realize that like people that go by their word, the value of that is really, really strong. You're wasting two to three months if you don't. I mean, yeah. it's... Mm -hmm. And then when it goes back to market, it's, you know, the odds of it uh, selling for higher than that are really low. And then everybody's like, "Well, what's wrong with the property?" I'm with it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not. I don't want to that that original price that I was going to go in. I, I'm coming off that. And then the broker's got to convince people. No, it was the guy buying. It's it's just it's a horrible situation. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to be in it. Sounds like we have some very similar uh, strategies and thoughts. Yeah, yeah. No, this oh, is we're like... not competing on deals anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, you guys put an offer on that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, exactly. This whole podcast is like gold. It's like freaking parallel universes right now. Uh, that's awesome. So when you guys started, so you're talking about getting a lot of your deals from brokers nowadays. Um, a couple things I wanted to kind of dive into as you've begun to scale or begun to scale. How, what, what have been most, your most common pain points? How have you guys addressed some of those? And then I also kind of want to, after that, dive into how you've begun to build those relationships with those brokers. Yeah. I think, you know, again, trying to answer a few questions there. Um, when John and I first started, we sat side by side and we just hammered out all of the operations, did all the onboarding. You know, we grew a team of five to 10 people. It got a little easier as the team got to 20 and 30 people, it actually got harder. You know, we're now, you have departments, mm -hmm. you know, we're building out, you know, different softwares for project management. Um, we have regional, you know, VPs, we have DMs, we have FMs. We recently brought on a president who had 11 years experience at public storage, running a very large um, region and portfolio for them. We have brought on a CFO from EY. So, you know, things have not gotten easier with scale. In fact, they probably got operationally more challenging because you have a lot more people, you have departments, you know, when him and I used to just do a deal, we knew everything that was going on. Now we don't know what we don't know and we don't see a lot of things. So we're only finding out about it when they need to bring us back in. Um, so that's one. And then I think two is, you know, we started here in Minnesota Wisconsin, Midwest, and as you go to different markets, as you go to military towns, is 
you go to these B and tertiary markets, which I don't think we've really talked heavily upon, you know, on top of the technology, we want to play in B and tertiary markets. You know, some of the, what we consider to be our bigger markets are still B and tertiary, you know, Billings, Montana, 100,000 person MSA, Casper, Wyoming. Um, we're in some big cities, but to most, those are B and tertiary. That's where we want to be. I don't think you'll see us in Chicago, LA, Minneapolis. We like that and we're positioned there for a reason. But with that, you know, you have different challenges and it's of the utmost importance to have a good reputation in these communities, to do right, even when it's the wrong thing, or even when you know, you know, it's the wrong thing and out of principle, you don't want to do it. You know, you're weighing out like, hey, I'm playing in a 20,000 person market where everyone knows everyone, everyone talks and, Mm -hmm. you know, this is what we should do. So um, I think on top of it, you know, the sellers, as I said earlier, a lot of times this is their baby. And even though they've sold it to us, you know, they're not easily willing to just let it go. And they want to, you know, still be involved in how we do our processes and they want us to do it a certain way. And it's like, Hey, you know, it's, it's easier to do it when you have one store as to when you have 95 or hundred, we have to do it like this because this is our process. You know, on the eighth day of the month, we send us a text and an email on the 16th, you get a letter on the 31st, you know, in some States or the 45th or the 60th day, it's a certified letter. <clears throat> And well, that's just wrong, or that's rude, or you should give every person a call. And it's like, well, with 15, 17, 18,000 customers, that's just not feasible. So I think those have been our challenges operationally, finding good vendors who can service us nationally, not having to go find a sign, you know, vendor in every new market and someone who can just grow with us. Those, um, are a lot of challenges getting an ERP system integrated with our facility management software. So we're not having to do a lot of the laborious accounting stuff that was doable with 10 entities, 20 entities, 30 entities. So, you know, bigger business, bigger problems or headaches, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's the traditional growth issue. You know, it's, it's really easy to run something when it's two or three people and everything's done for osmosis and you're running three facilities. We know every tenant's name. Like we know that this, you know, D- Doug Smith is going to be late every day, every, every month, but guess what? He's going to pay. So we're going to get his late fees. Well, mm-hmm. you know, when you have a 40 person organization, uh, all of that osmosis goes out the door and you have to start using a lot of these tools and, you know, a lot of clarity comes as to why big corporations run the way they do. And, and, you know, it's not like we had a roadmap or it was, you know, you know, Hey, this is, you know, when we get to this size, now you do it this way. I mean, it was all organic. We, we didn't even have, we had one employee at the end of 2018. Otherwise it was me and Andrew handling everything. And then from there, that one employee evolved. And now we're trying to fit people into positions that may or may not make sense to them because they've been with us. And, you know, eventually, you know, I think in the last even six to 12 months, the, the clarity that we've established, just establishing various departments and starting to put hierarchy and structure in place, various management positions um, is where it, it really started to kind of become a little bit more clear. Uh, and, and, you know, what, what really needs to happen is just commonalities and process. And, and, you know, that you, you have a way that you do things. It doesn't mean it's the right way, but getting everyone to do it in the similar fashion, creating those rules, creating those guardrails so that your employees can do it as well um, is really that next step. And I think, you know, coming from various business backgrounds, we've done it with two companies now, you know, despite them being in different industries, it's the same issues that you face as you go from a Mm -hmm. two person organization to a 10 to a 50. I mean, each one of these legs presents different challenges and oftentimes challenges that you haven't faced before. So we've been lucky enough to, as we do this, you know, we have the income from the e-commerce business, so we can live off of that. We can reinvest a lot of our money from storage into building ahead, you know, hiring a president, hiring a CFO, hiring various positions that we were doing ourselves uh, because we don't know what we don't know. And to get to that next leg, we need someone that has that experience. And, and you know, it's it's been challenging. You know, we um, 
I always like to say there's this pendulum, it's growth operations and you see, yeah. you can pick one, right? <laughs> For sure. and, and sometimes you swing too far one direction and the yep. other one's like, Hey, we're not growing at all. You got perfect operations. And so we need to grow. And then sometimes you're going way too fast and things start to slip. You're like, all right, slow it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of how we've, we've approached everything and always try to find that equilibrium. No, I, right. that's, that's awesome. That's, you know, I, I wanted to talk on a little bit on your structure here. You mentioned that the previous owners, do you, is the previous owner still involved? Owners? Or yeah, like the previous owner, you mentioned that you had, um, sorry, and I may have missed no, this. No, it's, it's kind of just fresh in my mind because I've been getting bombarded with emails from a previous owner. Got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and know, I know how that is. We had one that kept coming yeah. back into the office. Like he, he'd be there every day and I'm like, well, I don't <laughs> want to tell you to go away, but at oh, the yeah. same, at the same time, you know, and he's like, well, why are you doing this? And why are you doing, I'm like, well, you know, buddy, let's. Well, I mean, she, she went as far as, you know, let me see your, you know, aging report. Let mm-hmm. me look at the tenants. And I mean, I, um, you know, we've, we've done, I don't know if it's been 50 or 60 transactions and I'm sure no different. You've got a few sellers that stand out and you have a few horror stories of trying to get this through the finish line. And I'm sure I got one or two that might take the cake, but um, I got this seller who, you know, sends novels and just goes into detail and not that we owe it to them. You know, we cash them out. We're doing it. Yeah. We like to be, we like to keep a good reputation for all we know. She has another friend who owns a property in another city and says, my experience was great. You should sell to them. So, um, yeah, it's a balancing act you got to do. Yeah. So it was, it was fresh and, you know, we've had people who have called and said, Hey, you know, the grass is getting long and you know, it's, you know, we appreciate it. Thank you. Well, we'll We'll take care of it. So, you know, we have all that. Yeah. You know, every week, well, it, but it, it's a great thing you bring up too, because you got to realize to so many of these owners, when, particularly when you're getting off market deals, yeah. this is their baby. They, yep, they're yeah. there all the time. They're there looking at everything. And even though when we look at it, like, wow, this is a huge value add play because operationally speaking, this is a dumpster fire, right? <laughs> to them, they're doing everything right. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. to them, they're like, no, mm-hmm. this is how you do it. Yeah. Right? Oh, I mean, we, we had, we had one owner, one of the early buys we made, he was a builder and a handyman. And he, I mean, the guy mowed his own lawn, he plowed everything. The place was immaculate, but the idea of raising rents or, you know, anything else yep. is just completely <laughs> marketing. Lost don't just, nothing. Just yeah. any of the business side of it wasn't yeah. anything, but he, I mean, this guy put time effort. He cared about the facility. Yes. You know, in fact, you know, does one, right. I mean, the, he was, he was all over his facility, but he just didn't operationally. Yeah, yeah, he didn't operationally know the first thing. I mean, I think we bought the facility at like twenty-three dollars a foot. Twenty-three dollars, and it was in perfect condition. <laughs> yeah, the rents were probably fifty percent of the neighboring towns, you know. And he's like, "You'll never get that in this city." And sure enough, we're, we're getting go. it. Like, yeah, I'm sure you know different than you guys. <laughs> oh yeah, stories, stories like that. And, uh-huh. You know, we do too. Eighty year olds, eighty year old gentlemen who in these Midwest winters are still doing their snow plowing because. Yep. You know, the idea of paying someone a few hundred bucks to do it and you know yeah. they want to tell us exactly how we have to do the snow plumb but you know what i will say playing kind of devil's advocate is that is part of our sales is we're not public storage we're not yep. mm-hmm. the large reads the private equities yep. but your baby is going to be in good hands yeah so you know going back to the reputation yes. building rapport you know there is some onus on us to try and do our best albeit, you know, we are doing our best. It's harder with this many properties. So, you know, back to the story I was telling you, she sent me a list. Hey, these people, these people, Hey, because you know, you're a great individual and you vouch for these people. We're going to issue this credit. We're going to reverse this payment. We're going to issue this credit. You know, and I spent a few hours just kind of going line by line. Why? Because it was her baby. And I think we got a phenomenal deal on a very, very good asset. Yeah. And it was because we were, and we said, you know, we would do right by them and uphold their business in the same or similar capacity. So we do have some responsibility to, to, to do that. And yeah. when we stop doing that, when we are the REIT or the publicly traded companies, um, and it's literally just a machine and you kind of lose that human touch, you know, maybe our growth does slow down because- yeah you know, they're going to find a, a different vehicle to, to dispose of that. You got to go after totally at that point, you're going after properties that are owned by funds. 
mm-hmm. know what I mean? And that's what people don't understand. There's a different playbook. And like when you're playing and you're not competing when you're playing, but you're competing with reads, things like that, like you are, and we are, I mean, we have a different, our value proposition is different. And that's different for different kind of owners, which works out well because the owners that I'm trying to get, right, come better for my value proposition. Same with you, right? I'm not a big nameless read. I make the end decision here. If I tell you I'm doing something, we're doing it. Yeah. Right? And they like the type of people that we buy liking that. Now, if I'm talking to a fund that owns, you know, 15 assets across <clears throat> 10 different states and has 2 million square feet and they're selling this one off, they're going to go, I don't care about that. I got an attorney. He's going to go over legal documents with you. Let's get these terms nailed out and this price done. Best final offer with terms that are favorable to me. You're going to win, <coughs> right? And yeah, then the REITs can come. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's all transactional based. And that's normally speaking, not the people we deal with. And two, that's also not the people I deal with on brokers. So I don't deal with transactional brokers. I build relationships. And I tell that to every broker. Like I, if I'm going to do deals with you, I'm doing deals with you for 20 years. Right. I'm not doing deal this deal with you and you're never going to hear me again, because if so, I don't even need to do this deal with you. Yeah. And honestly, as you all are talking and we're talking, it's almost like a refresher course for me or for us. You know, like, hey, we need to spend some time revisiting because, you know, again, like some of these things maybe have gotten away from us and we need to do better because, I mean, you're you're hitting the nail on the head. I mean, there are transactional brokers and everything in this business is relational. relationship based. So I mean you gotta realize when you hear this. Yeah, yeah. No, for me too. I love talking about this stuff because it brings it in. It's like remember what got you here. Remember your value. Remember where you are. All those strategy needs to change. I we're not changing who we are. We're not a REIT. We're not anything else like that. And I can't if you start to lose that edge you out in the market, then you don't want to see those things return. And when I got when we got started in the industry in the early two thousands, right? We would go to ISS, SSA, you're talking like, there'd be like, whatever. I mean, you're sitting in a meeting with 20 people. Like, that's it, right? Dude sitting next to me with like overalls on, right? Some other guy, some guy up there is talking about like domain names on the internet and how you're going to be able to trade them from certain amount of monies. Not even talking about storage, right? Like, it's just like, nobody's there, right? But the core people that were there, they're still here. And when we, even when those people, these main people in this industry, right, we're a close knit industry. It's the only reason I'm talking to you guys is because my friend called me up and my business partner in the industry called me up and said, Hey, you guys need to have this on. And we're like, Hey, yeah, we should have these guys come to our event in Coeur d'Alene we're doing. So we're like, well, let's have them on the podcast. It's very close knit. Which by the way, we're very excited for Coeur d'Alene. Thank you. Yes. It's going to be awesome. Those are the markets we love. And, you know, a few years ago, we maybe could have hopefully bought something there. It's too late for that, but yeah, love Coeur d'Alene. Yeah, I'm so excited and yeah. honored and just excited to be there. Yeah, dude, we're Thank we you. want we want you guys to come and talk about like yeah. building on scale and stuff because it, yeah. it's when you're in this industry, the players that have been in it and that are doing it, it's it's different than when you look at other industries. It's so niche, and two, it's how we operate these is just so different. It's not triple net. It's not like if you look at like triple net, if you look at apartments, if you look at all this stuff, then you have this weird self-storage thing. And us self-storage people, we don't do, generally speaking, everything. We're just storage people. It's this weird industry, right? So all- a, it, It's funny <laughs> you say that because we're the first to admit when someone says, hey, look at this storage deal that has 25% of containers, you know, transportation or you know, this will work if you do X, Y, and Z. We're like, guys, we're good at storage. We're bad at that stuff. Like, yes. we will yep. fumble. Like, if we have yep. to do X, Y, and Z for storage to work, it's probably not for us. That's, yep. a, that's one of the areas we're completely addressing right now because we, we admittedly don't do well on auxiliary revenue. You know, almost every facility we buy either has an office that they perm- you know previously operated out of that we could now lease out and get 500 bucks a month for or whatever it may be. Or, you know, maybe it's got a, you know, commercial lease next to it that's, you know, was one point lease, but it's not an apartment. I mean, there's yeah. there are all these auxiliary revenue sources. And when you're at our scale with 90 plus properties, uh, you know, I got a spreadsheet this along with them now. And it's like, what are we doing to lease these? Because it's all money that's being left on the table. And, you know, we don't have lease templates. We don't know what it is. In the yeah. Yeah. So going through all, we, we literally have one of our employees handling every aspect of this right now to get a process in place so that none of that gets I'm, dropped. I'm laughing because you asked earlier about pain points. Another pain point is you can't just 
upload them into your facility management software and treat them the exact same as a month to month renter and yeah. storage and ask them to call your call center. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a completely different customer, a completely different animal. Yeah. And if you don't have good oversight on it, you know, it just grows to be quick, big, quick. And, you know, yeah. 20 of these a thousand dollars a month or 500, it's, it's a big number. Yeah. We had a property so. that we had, what was it like 10, 15 offices in and we had like two of them full and we couldn't lease out the rest. And we're like, we don't understand why we can't lease these out. We put it on Craigslist. Like you're like, I don't, I don't get the right. The property's like 97% occupied on storage. We're raising rents and everything. And we have all these, these uh, uh, offices that are empty and we're reading in the news, like there's an office shortage. And this was before COVID. And they're like, nobody can find office space. And we're like, what, what are we doing wrong? Turn it into storage. Like, so yeah, we, we did. We turned it into <laughs> indoor climate controlled storage. So, and it's filled up. It's filled up now. So <laughs> good to go. No, no it's the cell. Turn, yeah, the turn it into all storage. into storage. Yes. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny. We are really trying to work that out. And we're also finding opportunities. Some of the better opportunities we're finding now are actually hybrid deals where it is, you know, 40% of the value comes from commercial leases and maybe 60 comes from storage. And um, we're able to, you know, be, because of that, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of these sellers, they go, oh, if we bought all it together, we'll get a better deal. But what they're doing is the commercial guys are scared of the stars and the storage guys are scared of the commercial. Yeah. So we're actually able to scoop it up a little less. And, you know, in some cases it might just make sense for us to buy it, spin off the commercial, sell it independently, get the value out and then run the storage. So we are seeing some deals. You know, if you're seeing higher cap rate deals, oftentimes it's because there's some weird operational records management or there's a car wash or something that, you know, adds. We're dealing one with a car wash and we got another one that we're dealing with. Same thing. And people are like, they think it's it's helpful, but really it's just like nobody wants to touch it. Don't do laundromats. I was just saying, stay away from car washes and laundromats. Yeah. We just sold their laundromat and it's, it's a complete different animal and it's not the same customer business. So, I, I won't go down that rabbit hole, but I. But it I comes would, down to scale. I wouldn't buy it. It comes down yeah, to scale yeah. because in order to scale, you guys built processes and systems to get that yeah. result that you want. Then you yeah. throw that in yeah. and you have nothing to work. And then you have teams that's like, what am I supposed to be? I, I'm confused here. Mm-hmm. How am I supposed to be handling, right? So it's not that they're not all bad deals and you should run. Obviously, figure them out like you're talking about. There can be opportunity in it. But it is to storage people, these things, throw throw a wrench in our systems. Which, so much of it, um, just buying right. I mean, yeah. even those our laundromats, we fell on our faces with these things, but we made probably a 50% gain on what we bought them for. Not on a down payment, on the actual purchase price, uh, despite ourselves, because we saw a hot deal and we struck in the first day. And the same is very, very true for storage. Yes. You, know, you never want to chase a deal. Um, you know, all of our operational stuff that we say we do well and everything else, I think we do well. Um, we're not doing anything super special. We're just doing the 30 basic things you're supposed to do in storage, right? Uh-huh. But it all comes down to buying it right because then you have this incredible cushion. Um, and you got to buy right for your model. Everybody's got yeah. a different model. Um, but in your model, you know, what maybe a six and a half cap to the seller is an eight cap to me. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love what you say that. Like I always tell people, I'm like, I, my margin of safety is my margin of stupidity. Like I have to have a margin of stupidity because I'm not a genius and I know things go wrong and I know I can make mistakes. So if I buy a deal that I believe this is such a good deal that I can screw things up and it'll still make money. And that was how we started out. So when we started out, we didn't know anything about storage. So it had to just be such a good deal that I'm like, we could screw everything up and we're still going to be okay. Right. And I'm like, I don't ever want to lose that. I want these deals to just be like, listen, this is such a good deal that even if we buy it and things go wrong or whatnot, we're still going to make money. And it's amazing how that simple concept, buying it right, makes all the difference. But two, it allows you to grow. Right. It allows you to screw up and it be okay. And then not be like, what did I get myself into? I got to get out of this. Right. Because things don't go perfect. We describe every deal and it's like, you know, there's probably 10 levers that we have that we can pull to improve a property at a higher level, right? We can cut our expenses. We can bring in better management. We can improve the CapEx. We can raise rents. We can build. We can market it better online, right? And I look at all these levers and I say, okay, this deal, if we buy it today, we need all 10 of these levers to go right for this to be a profitable deal for us. And no thanks. You know, I like when it's two or three go right, we hit our numbers. If all of them go right, we knock it out of the park. And that's kind of how we look. Yes. We have to jump through, you know, we, he always says like mental gymnastics, right? If we have to like convince ourselves like, well, you know, it's the lower cap, but if this, 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 and this all hit, we'll make a bunch of money. But it's like, well, what if these four don't? So that's, right. you know, and it's fun because there's three and there's Ryan, our third partner. And so we all kind of have a different 
um, I guess, style of how we look at things, yeah. uh, whether it's detailed, financial, cosmetic, um, gut, gut. <laughs> mostly yeah. gut. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we, you know, people are, you do a market study. I'm like, yeah, I've looked in Radius Plus. I've looked at all these softwares. I've gathered my stuff. I didn't put a pretty package together, but I've looked at enough of these where I can tell you within half, you know, 20 yeah. minutes, maybe, of yeah. parsing through stuff, if we're in striking distance, get it under contract and then we'll go through everything from there. Yeah. But, you know, if, it takes all three of us to do a deal. Like we have to unanimously agree. It's not two against one. It's not any of that stuff. So if there's one holdout, it's a hung jury. We, we punt. And you know what? So we do Maybe it. we've missed a couple of deals that we wish we would have done, but I can tell you there's a lot we skipped that we're super glad we didn't. Yes. And missing a good deal. Okay, great. You know, Another good deal will come. Doing one shitty deal could bring your whole house down. And that's Bingo. what we really, really need to avoid. Dude, yeah. Okay. I mean, we could talk about this all day, but I think that's seriously like the most important <laughs> point. And I, so I, I'm going to end on that because honestly, guys, I could ser- seriously talk to you guys all day. So everybody, you guys got to come to the conference to hear the rest of them. Mm-hmm. And, and you guys can talk about scale up accordingly, but guys, this was an amazing podcast. Um, can't wait to break bread and just hang out guys. We can talk strategies and you know, everything you're doing. I love it. I got, uh, I got one of my facilities, up in Coeur d'Alene. We're going to sh- uh, take people through and show. We like had to tear down like half of it. It was cool. But I love, yeah, it'll be fun. You guys come out and see our facility. Uh, one of them, we have like seven up there. Like you guys, we, we bought those like 10 years ago. We wish we could buy more there now, but wow, it's crazy. So, <laughs> it's <insane>. yeah. <laughs> but hey guys, so where can people go to find out more about you? KO Storage, what you guys do. Um, you guys have a great mindset or running a great company. Yeah. Where should people go? KOStorage.com, you'll see kind of our, our map where we are. And, you know, honestly, every month we're adding new states, but John and I are both pretty easy to find. It's just Andrew at KO Storage or John, J O N, at KOStorage.com. Uh, we're both, uh, you know, social media, LinkedIn. Um, you know, look up Andrew Freeman or John Marshalla. We're both very responsive and we love connecting, networking talking shop, you know, similar to you all. So, you know, any one of those methods you'll, you'll find us pretty easily. We're not hard to find and we're not, um, unapproachable. Yeah. You know, we do a lot of strategic deals that are outside of our norm, whether it's pairing up with a couple we met in 29 Palms, California to convert a grocery store that's been in their family for 50 years to self storage and turn a $1.2 million facility. That's a grocery store into a $4 million facility with no cash from either of us, you know, things like that. So we get very, very creative in how we structure things when people have something they want to monetize, if it makes sense for us. So it's not all just buy optimize. Let's take this infrastructure we build and partner up with people. So, feel free to hit us up for anything, whether it's that teaming up, you know, anything, you know, we're, we're pretty flexible and open to, to having open discussions with people. And we like to have fun. Yeah. And work with like yeah. people. Yep. Hungry. Um, so anything and everything hit us up. I Sounds love great. It. Yeah. We'll I get those in the guys. show notes and uh, link it up and uh, everybody listening, go check them out. Thanks again so much guys for coming yeah. on. We appreciate oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. Thanks we'll get in touch. Thanks. Perfect.